listening to What the HR Podcast, episode number seven. I'm Jesse Novi, an HR business partner with CH Robinson. And I'm Mike Toole, HR technology consultant with SAP SuccessFactors. Today we are joined by Hazen Munez. He's the director of global talent and contingent workforce at Ecolab. He's been there for nearly 13 years. Uh, he's been in both an HR business partner role and a COE leader supporting numerous Ecolab businesses. Uh, currently, he is responsible for Ecolab's Global Contingent Workforce Program. Working in partnership with human resources and procurement, he is contributing to diversifying Ecolab's talent sources and making Ecolab the premier destination for the world's most capable talent. Leveraging his strong business acumen and collaborative approach, Hazen has consistently gained the respect of business leaders and peers alike. He holds an MBA from the University of Virginia, Darden School of Business, and an undergraduate degree from Cornell University. He's married to Amanda, and they have two kids, Marco, who's 11, and Liliana, who is 8. Hey, Hazen. Welcome. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Excited to be here. Great. Well, I know that we read your bio at the top of the podcast, but if you could just give our listeners just a little bit more information about you, and then for our listeners who might uh, happen to not know much about Ecolab, if you could just give them a high-level overview on uh, Ecolab, too, that would be really helpful. Sure, absolutely. Uh, so I've been at Ecolab for 13 years, and I've been an HR business partner for most of that time. I started off supporting our pest elimination business. I moved into our healthcare business and then slid over into our institutional business before moving into our COE space. And I led our employee relations and compliance uh, team for the U.S. Uh, for a couple years. And it's really there that I discovered this uh, opportunity and what ultimately became this role that I created, uh, managing and leading our contingent workforce space. Uh, Ecolab is the world's expert on safe water, and clean water, safe food, and healthy environments. So we help uh, customers all around the world make sure that their operations are sound and safe. Uh, we're a trusted partner to them. We have over 50,000 employees around the world. We operate in about 170 countries. Um, and we're over in over 3 million customer sites around the world. And your headquarters is here in St. Paul. And our headquarters is here in, in, in St. Paul, Minnesota. Mm -hmm. um, we have a satellite office in uh, Naperville, uh, Illinois, which is where our Nalco water business is based. Mm -hmm. All right, great. So let's talk a little bit about how this um, opportunity surfaced for you. I think you mentioned um, kind of off mic that this was kind of an opportunity that you had maybe raised your hand for. Is that is that correct? Yeah, it's a you know it's one of those times where an opportunity presents itself and you're somewhat at a crossroads. And you have to make a decision as to whether this is something that you want to pursue. Um, and, in, and in my case, it kind of um, perhaps took me a little bit off the traditional path. Um, but it was just too good to pass up. And so basically, as I mentioned before, I was leading our employee relations and compliance uh, team. And, um, and we were doing a series of projects to look at spaces where there was risk that we needed to mitigate. Um, and clearly, contingent workers is a space that has risk. Um, and at the time, we didn't really have any management practices in place. Um, if the organization asked us how many contingent workers we had, we couldn't really answer that question. 
Um, how many staffing suppliers we had? Couldn't answer that question. How much spend we had? We couldn't answer that question. So uh, these are all, you know, clearly issues. And so we started to just um, take bite-sized morsels out of how we could start to approach that. Um, ultimately, it led us to a point where we said, well, we're making inroads, we're making progress, um, but the only way to really sustain our, our gains here is to pull it put a program in place. And so we teed this up to the organization as, look, as we look externally at how the workforce is evolving, we know that, you know, labor shortages are coming. And so, you know, you have to kind of go back to circa 20, 000, uh, 2016, 2017. And, 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 you know, in essence, we were, you know, forecasting what that story would look like today. Um, and we already knew that clearly the workforce demographics were changing as well, right? So um, not only here in the US, but around the world, people are choosing to do work differently than, um, than they have done so traditionally. You know, they're looking for flexibility, they're looking for control, and in some ways, they're um, willing to trade off the security of working for one employer for 30 years uh, to, to search for that experience that maybe gives, gives them a, a skill set that they've been searching for. Um, and so for all those reasons, it, it, it made sense for this to be really a, a, a program. Now, um, you know, anybody who's worked at a large uh, multinational uh, organization knows that, that this is... Um, this is a proposal, right? This is something that has to go up to the top of the organization to gain the necessary support and the investment dollars behind it. And, and that's what basically I did in uh, 2016 and ultimately gained support uh, for the creation of my team and my role. Mm -hmm. So it's a pretty unique opportunity and, um, you know, it's kind of hard to... to to turn down, frankly, right, an opportunity. I mean, Ecolab is a, um, you know, it's been around since 1923. And uh, oftentimes when a brand new HR uh, business partner joins our organization and someone maybe seeks some advice, what would you tell me, you know, mm -hmm. uh, something I should do? Well, one of the pieces of advice that I've historically given, uh, you know, new HR business partners is, before you go off and solve an, a problem, stop and look around because it's likely that someone else has encountered the same problem. And here was a problem that had not been addressed, mm -hmm. did not have an answer for. Um, and that was pretty exciting for me mm -hmm. um, and, and motivating. And, and it's really what you know, uh, led me down the path of, of, of wanting to, to, to do this for myself and, and, for, and for Ecolab. Yeah. So I'm assuming this issue was global. Right. And can you give our listeners a little bit of an understanding of what it looked like? Was it, you know, a hiring manager was making these decisions? Was there inconsistency amongst how the talent acquisition team was thinking about contingent workforce? Was it a mixture of both? It was a little bit of a mixture of, 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 of all of that. You know, overall, clearly most of it was driven by a, a manager at the time, just, you know, having a need and, and, and frankly going out to try to solve that need for themselves. Now, based on, um, you know, the country, HR's involvement looked a little bit different. Um, a lot of that has to do with the size of the team. So I, I think what, what we've kind of learned over time is here in the U.S. where we have 
you know, I would say the largest contingent workforce population, the largest employee uh, population, HR actually had very little involvement in, in the sourcing and procuring of contingent workers. Elsewhere, that looked a little bit different because teams are a little bit smaller and, and um, you know, HR tends to have their hands in more things because um, they're just, you know, maybe one or two people that are supporting a, a team, right? So, um, but yeah, it, it, it looked different. And, you know, one of the things that makes this space unique, and I guess it's not really that surprising, is that contingent workforce uh, regulations look very different uh, country mm -hmm. by country, um, which makes it really difficult to just do some sort of like one size fits all solution around the world. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's why we've kind of taken more of a country by country approach to the way that we've um, rolled out our program. Yep. And before we get too far along, I just want to clear up um, for those that might not know what contingent workforce yeah. means. I think we should talk about that, especially because it can come in a variety of different ways and it can look really different depending on uh, the needs of the employer, um, the level of expertise that the employer is looking for and the length of time. That's a great question. Yes. Um, good, good call out. Um, so the way that that our organization defines a contingent worker is obviously clearly it's a it's a it's a type of non employee. And so non employees would be your broadest grouping of, of workers. Um, contingent workers are a subset of that group. And it's uh, a group of workers that you would utilize more for short term duration assignments. Um, you know, you're either filling some sort of, you know, perhaps a leave, you're, um, you've got some work fluctuations that, that require um, some additional resources, uh, perhaps you're bringing on a new customer and you need some additional support to get that customer onboarded. Um, those are what we would consider uh, contingent workers. Um, you could you would include in that subset also project workers that you would have in your organization for a duration of time as as well, and clearly again there the similarities is that there's a there's a definitive start and a definitive end date associated with with those uh, workers. What sits outside of contingent workers traditionally, not always, somewhat dependent on how your organization defines it, is outsource workers. Um, you know, because the idea there is that you as an organization have decided to take a process and give it to somebody else to perform for perpetuity, basically. So there is no defined end date to that arrangement. Um, and so those type of, you know, workers are considered out, out of out of scope. Um, but, you know, here in the U.S., you hear a lot about gig workers. Um, those would be part of the contingent workforce as well. Independent workers would be part of the contingent workforce as well. You mentioned earlier that you found a problem that hadn't been solved. Did you stumble upon that? Like how, did you, how did you come across this issue within Ecolab? <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, you know, sometimes you get, sometimes you literally stumble into the problem. When I moved into the employee relations uh, team, I had a member of my team that was responsible for the relationships that we had with three staffing providers. Um, three large ones, but not at all inclusive of the entire population of workers or staffing providers that we had. And, um, and her work really didn't fit that naturally into the other work that the team was doing. 
And so um, I began to ask questions and just try to understand the link, right? Um, and, and then behold, you know, I start to learn more. Initially, again, as I described, it was, it was about compliance, it was about risk, and, and frankly, about the potential savings from a control perspective in the organization. Um, you know, it, it, it's funny, I don't know, I gotta believe that this is pretty similar across most organizations. We manage headcount like you wouldn't believe. There's, you know, 13 levels of approval before you bring in someone permanently. And yet, you look at the contingent side, and there was absolutely no parallel. Furthermore, you um, would ask a manager, um, well, how did you go about determining what the pay rate is that you paid for that particular worker? And usually the answer is, you know, and I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's not, and I'm not trying to bash, you know, managers here, but usually is, listen, I need this person to start like tomorrow. I, I don't really care what it's going to cost me. Um, and, and so there was absolutely no negotiation, no, you know, oftentimes not even asking what, what, what that worker was going to cost. And again, compare that to what it looks like on the employee side, right? Where you've got a whole team that you go to before you uh, make an offer to an employee, right? Um, and, and the parallels are just like, wow, there's a lot of low-hanging fruit here um, that we can really do um, to really just help. Uh, you know. So our mantra from the very beginning was we wanted to create visibility, uh, so as to give our businesses and functions uh, the knowledge to make better choices about their utilization of contingent workers. Uh, we never started with uh, a, per a particular stance that we either wanted to increase or decrease the utilization of contingent workers. We just wanted to give you know, more power, more knowledge so that better decisions were made. Absolutely. And so this has been a phased kind of process or approach for you. So can you kind of break it down where you decided to start? Um, and then for some of those locations where it's a, like a fully flushed out process now, what that looks like for those groups and who you may have also needed to partner with as sort of stakeholders um, throughout this. Yeah. So in most organizations, when there isn't a program in place, the, the relationships with staffing suppliers tend to be owned by procurement. Um, and that was the case at Ecolab as well. Um, in some ways, they're, they're, they're treated like just any other vendor or supplier that the organization has. And, and even that kind of speaks to a little bit of the you know, a disconnect right, right there. So we're, you know, you've got a team that is kind of tasked with trying to um, bring in a particular product or service to the organization at the lowest possible price. And we're talking about people <laughs> in a market where it's really, really hard to find people. So right off the bat, um, procurement is a space where if there isn't a program in place, that's where you probably have to start. Um, and for us, it, they've been a, an enormous partner, a huge partner. We could not do this with, with, without them. Um, we started here in the U.S. It was where the biggest opportunity existed. You also have to layer over market maturity. Uh, so how 
a custom um, is the market and the geography to using uh, or having these types of programs in place. Um, there's basically two primary components when you're putting a program in place. One is the technology that you're going to leverage um, to manage your program. So, you know, in some ways, it's similar to an ATS on the employee side. It's a mechanism by which you create a requisition, um, gain approvals, um, and, and then what becomes different, though, and, and why... So the technology in this space is called a vendor management system. Um, what, what makes this space uh, or this particular technology a little bit different than ATSs is, is that then you're pushing out your need to a set of suppliers that you've identified. Um, and they're responding to your requisition basically through the tool, which then allows a manager to go through and pick a worker uh, within that tool. And then the last part, is uh, it almost turns into a procurement tool because it also becomes the way that by which you pay the supplier as well. Mm -hmm. So it's a pretty robust technology. So um, most of them are headquartered in the United States. So you know that's also an another reason why the U.S. is a good starting point. Um, and so we in tw in 2017 we spent most of 2017 really preparing for the launch, and we did an RFP both for the technology, as well as um, we made a decision to basically outsource the day-to-day -day management of the program to a provider. Um, you know, clearly you can choose to do it yourself, or you can choose to outsource it. Um, so we spent most of 2017 identifying those two partners. And then we went live in the U.S. in 2018, early 2018. By that point, we already knew where we were going to go next. We went to the U.K. next, which, again, also a very established market, mature market, understands contingent workforce utilization, similar to the U.S., uh, similar laws, which is also helpful in this, in this regard. Um, and clearly, legal is another big partner in, in any of this work. Um, and, and then after the UK, we went to Mexico. Um, and, and really the logic behind uh, the countries that we chose was, you know, clearly I mentioned a little bit laws, regulatory, maturity of market, but, but, but clearly also spend, right? Like, where are we going to get, uh, you know, our bang for, for, the, for the buck, right, for the investment that we're, that we're doing? Um, we had a goal at the time that we were, we were going to try to get about 70, 75% of the volume that we have in terms of a spend around the world in, in, into the program, um, actually by the end of this year. Um, and, uh, and, and then we knew we were going to go and, and continue to grow either in Latin America, using Mexico somewhat as the starting point, or continue our growth into Europe, again, utilizing the UK as our starting point. We gained more traction in Europe than we did in Latin America. Um, and so, you know, we, we, you got to go where the momentum is. And so um, last year, we went live in Netherlands, Belgium, and Spain. Mm -hmm. And this year, we'll go live in Germany and France. Um, so that's kind of the path that we've followed up to this point. So when you talk about bang for your buck, 
so you're putting all this investment into it. What is, what's the return you're looking for? Because in the past you didn't have anything in place. Is it a dollar number? Is it how many, like time to fill the positions? Talk a little bit about what, you know, what ROI are you looking for? Most of our ROI is related to um, spend, you know, savings that we can generate the organization. Now, savings comes in a number of different fashions, um, and it's and it's somewhat tied to iteration. So, um, for example, the most the easiest way to generate savings is control mechanisms, right? Giving visibility to the organization. And so just naturally through visibility, people start to question, do we really need this worker or not? Could, you know, um, there's actually a worker on the other side of the hall that um, doesn't have a lot to do, you know? So before we do that, let's have a discussion, right? So, excuse me. Um, So we've been able to generate savings to the organization simply through controls but there's other ways to do that as well so for example um you know very very close in proximity it would be aggregate your spend you know you've got suppliers and in many cases and this was true for us we had suppliers that were in essence not recognizing our volume across the board so because we have locations all around the u.s um, you know, some of the large staffing providers were still treating us as if, you know, Ecolab and Ecolab Inc. and Nauco Water were, were three different companies. Mm. So you start to aggregate all that spend. You've got more leverage. And again, this is where procurement plays a big part. Um, you start to get better, you know, better, better costs, better, um, you know, reduced markups in terms of what your, your suppliers are providing you. Um, and then the last one is also, um, well, not last one, but another, another big one is, is market rates. So again, we talked a little bit about that at the start, um, not having visibility to market rates. So when you put these programs in place, again, not that dissimilar to what you do on the you know, employee side and the direct hire side, you can give your managers visibility to, well, what's the going rate for that particular worker? And so now they've got some information by which they can go back to their supplier and go, well, I really like this person, but the market says it should really be $50 an hour. You're saying it's 60. Can we meet halfway? That all generates you know, a substantial amount of savings to the organization um, you know, most organizations are probably using somewhere between 50 and 20 percent of their workforce is contingent um, and, and growing. And it depends on the industry. Clearly, if you're in IT, it's a bigger number. Yeah. Um, I want to take you back to a comment that you had made about procurement and the system that you guys selected. So I'm curious because historically my experience um, in this regard is that we've always had the staffing agencies that we've partnered with funnel their applicants through our ATS. And then the talent acquisition, respective talent acquisition individual has managed those individuals as part of an open requisition for a contingent worker versus like a full-time permanent worker. So I'm curious if you could share kind of what your what your thought process was or what the benefits maybe were of going the route that you guys did versus leveraging your ATS. And then if you could also clear up, um, 
you said you guys chose to have it managed by a third party. Does that mean your talent acquisition team does not get involved at all in the placement of contingent workers? So what you described where talent acquisition is involved in, um, in essence, the sourcing or identifying of contingent workers, um, I would say is actually not the norm. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you actually have a lot of organizations that are struggling to get, in essence, um, you know, a piece of the attention of talent acquisition and would would love to be able to say that talent acquisition is almost acting as a hub for all talent needs, Um, especially if your program is owned in procurement. Um, The likelihood that they've got the ear of someone in talent is is probably not not likely. Um, The numbers that I've seen out there, you know, just from industry benchmarking is, you know, there's still about 50% of the programs are still owned by procurement versus about 50% by HR, though clearly it's, it's headed more towards HR. Um, we, we had the benefit, you know, we were, in some ways what we did was behind the times. M- most, most companies of our size already had a, you know, a technology to help manage um, the workers. So we were behind in that extent. But in some ways, it was beneficial for us because you got to somewhat already be able to see where the story was headed and make decisions based on where you thought the end would be. One of those was that I, I, I fought, I, I, I made the argument that our, our, our team and, and uh, the COE should live within the broader talent space. For, for this exact reason that you're kind of implying. The, the, the fact is talent is talent. Um, and at some point, this is all going to somewhat blend is, is my, um, you know, somewhat my, my, my guess, right? My, my hypothesis. Um, but, but there's still, you know, I would say there's, there's still a lot of programs that, that, that don't subscribe to that. So, um, so I think what you're describing is, is aspirational actually, frankly. So, mm-hmm. you know, wherever you were that already had that is, is I would say was, was actually ahead. Um, and then, um, sorry, what was the second question? You kind of answered it already, but it was, um, the, the rationale for choosing a third party to manage those relationships versus having talent acquisition at the forefront of well that's that's actually i would say that's a separate that's a separate question it 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 really boils down to um well there's a couple of factors in play one is do you have the resources currently in-house to uh, to to do that yourself right and that you know depending on i mean depending on how large your workforce is Mm -hmm. uh, or number of contingent workers that you have that that could be a significant investment on the part of the organization um, and Hazen, I apologize for interrupting, but I just want to make sure that I was clear um, and cl- on the un- on united front with you is I was thinking more from the perspective of managing the relationship with a staffing company versus actually the on-site TA person doing all the recruiting for contingent workers. Yeah, and, and I, I hope I, I answer your question mm-hmm. this way. P- part of what drives a lot of companies to decide to to partner with an outsourcer, and especially initially, is because when you, this is, would be common at any time you're starting a brand new team, it's a lot 
it's hard basically to ask the organization to say, uh, I'm going to need a team of five and I need that headcount basically to, to do that. It's a lot easier. And so in our case, um, it's actually quite common that you uh, implement what's called a supplier funded model, which means that your suppliers basically pay a, a, a fee to participate in your program. And you can utilize, so clearly the value for them is they, they have access to the volume that you have. Um, and the benefit for us as the, as the company is that you can use those fees that you're collecting to, to pay both the technology and, and the, the team that you're pro, that's basically managing the day-to-day. So this is a really attractive uh, proposition when you go to the organization and you say, look, I've got $70 million worth of spend that's not being managed very well right now, and I can do it for no or very little upfront cost. Um, it's, that, that's, that's like a, you know, one of those no-brainers from a business mm-hmm. perspective. So that's a lot easier, right? To get support than to say, hey, look, I can do this, but I need a team of five and it's going to cost us X, you know, $100,000 or whatever the amount is, right, to, to stand up a team. Um, and, and so what, what typically happens in this space is um, teams, you know, you stand up programs, they're, they're initially outsourced. And then, com- and then companies at a later point in time decide, they hit a cross, you know, decision point where they're like, do I want to continue having somebody else manage it? Or do I perhaps want to take it in-house because it's either strategic or perhaps I can blend it in with my talent acquisition team. Um, but initially, it usually makes more sense to start with an outsourced partner. Um, for contingent workers, is, and I don't know how long each project goes for you guys, but by formalizing this process, did it enhance the experience for those contingent workers? Uh, do you guys often kind of go back to the same ones for certain projects and did, you know, kind of streamlining this, did it make it better for them to work with Ecolab because of it? I, I think it makes it, I think it makes it fair. So w- one of the things that happens and, you know, um, and some, you, you basically find skeletons in the closet when you do this work, right? All of a sudden you find that there is somebody that's been supporting a plant uh, that's been a contingent worker for three years. And, you know, who knows the reasons why that happens, but that's, that's, the, that's what you find, right? That's what you're presented with. And, you know, you put this program in place, it provides visibility, you put, the, you put policies in place, and now you've got a vehicle by which to kind of say, you know, that's, that's just not us. That's, that's inappropriate. We should make a decision. Do we either want to keep this person? And if we do, we should really make them an employee. Or, or maybe we just don't. Maybe it's not a critical role, right? So um, it brings the light and really forces the organization to kind of uh, make some of those tough choices at times. But, but fundamentally, I think it's the right thing to do, right? It's not... It's not fair, basically, to have somebody, in my mind, um, as a contingent worker for five years, right? Like, um, you, you got to make a call. You got to make a decision. Um, and, and clearly, there's risk associated with, with, with those situations as well, right? So you're, you're addressing them because there's risk, but you're addressing them also because it's, it's the right thing to do. 
The second point that you uh, brought up is a great one. This idea of if you've got individuals, you've got workers that have done work for you in the past. Is there ways that you can leverage them for other opportunities in the future? And that's a topic of um, you're, you're basically right in line with something that is uh, starting to really grow within the you know contingent workforce staffing kind of space. And that is this idea of, well, in many cases, what has happened in the past is you go to a staffing provider, you explain that you have a need, and you get a worker. Um, you don't usually end up leveraging the fact that there might have been a worker um, that did really good work six months ago for your organization. And so organizations are now building through you know, leveraging technology pools, very similar to the way that you would create a talent pool on the uh, direct hire side. Um, you can create pools of contingent workers that have done work for you in the past. And that way, when you have a need, instead of going to your staffing supplier, you start with the pool that you've collected. These are folks that you've already, you already know have done good work, and perhaps you have a mechanism by which to capture some uh, performance information on them, um, and then you can continue to utilize them. And they know you as and well. You. So time to value, I would imagine, goes down you know, faster you ramp up. Yeah, exactly. you know they understand your organization. Um, and just you know, it's it's inherently creates value, frankly, on both sides, right? Because I think as a worker, if you're in that you know in that circumstance where you 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 know you're working more as a you know uh, project to project basis, if you like an organization, you would you would prefer to to you know to do more work for that organization. Without having, uh, you know, I kind of imagine it as a bit, a bit of a digital Rolodex. You're, you're really relying on those individual relationships that you've built within that organization. What this does, it, it brings it in a way that's more scalable, right? So that, you know, so, you know for example, in our, our case, we have marketers across all of our businesses. We have marketers sitting in uh, Naperville, Illinois. We have marketers that sit in Greensboro, North Carolina. And so without something to help keep that pool together, it lives with that one single manager that used this great contractor that sits in our pestilination business. And this allows us to extract that and be able to you know, leverage that good talent that we have already across the whole organization. So have your leaders been able to see all of those benefits or has there been a lot of change management that you've had to wrap into all of the work that you're doing? A lot of change management, Jesse. It takes a long time. Frankly, it takes a long time to explain the whole thing. It's not, it's not intuitive, right? But it's, it's, you know, it's not for a lack of uh, interest. It, it's just because they they never understood it. They never understood um, how big it was, its impact. Um, some of this is still relatively new, right? This idea of a gig worker. F frankly, I think if you asked a, a lot of people, they were like, oh yeah, gig workers, isn't that like my Uber and my Lyft driver? Or, you know, isn't that what Silicon Valley is all made up of? No, it's here in Minneapolis and quite pervasive, right? So and, and any time that it's something new that you don't understand, the initial reaction is always, um, mm, I'm not sure. And all of our organizations have a l lot more work than they can possibly um, get to. 
And one of the things that I've learned, I mean, this is, I'm going into my um, four, fourth year leading this work. And um, I've learned a few things. I've learned to be gritty. I've learned to be, you know, persistent. Um, you know, to stay somewhat, um, you know, focused on my vision and, and keep, keep battling for it, right? You're, you're going to have obstacles. You're going to have days where people are like, no, I, I think your idea is not really that great. Um, and, and eventually people come around and understand it. But there were plenty of times where I had initial resistance. I can, I can recall one of the very first times that I was speaking to a few of my HR leaders. So here, here are my peers, right? The folks that should be, should, should probably understand this. You know, I, I was, I, you know, we were looking to expand, we were, we were building out our, our roadmap, where we're going to go after the U.S. And so we happened to have a HR leadership team meeting in town. And we had uh, our Europe HR leader and our Asia Pacific HR leader in town. And so uh, my task was to go and explain to them what this was. They didn't, they didn't know and what the benefit was. And, and here's the clincher. I need their help. I need their support. I'm ultimately, I need HR uh, folks to be on board and to help us with the implementation and to get this stood up and to give us, you know, what's your current state? What are your pain points? And, and how, do you, how do you envision this process looking after we implement? And, um, and so I went and I met with them. And they both were very courteous, you know, very respectful. But they both, at the end... And it's decided to meet with me together, which I think made it a little worse. They kind of tagged <laughs> me. Um, we're like, sounds like a great idea, Hazen, but I've got 13 other things that I need to get done. And this simply isn't going to knock out one of those things. So, you know, sometimes great ideas don't get done, not because they're bad ideas, but because there's just other priorities or perhaps other better ideas ahead of it. So then... Um, you just have to stay persistent and stay on it. Now, clearly, we rolled out in Europe, you know, as I explained. We have not rolled out in Asia Pacific. But interestingly enough, there's now renewed interest now that we've got programs in place in Europe. And they talk. They all talk. These leaders all talk to one another. And so you've got a European GM talking about the benefits that they've gained from having visibility to contingent workers and being able to manage their spend. And now that you know, Australian GM is sitting there going, hey, HR person, how come I don't have this solution here? And so that's how, that, that's how it works. I mean, it, it takes time. Can you talk a little bit about what you guys did from a change management perspective? Or maybe one example related to one of the locations where you rolled it out? Well, sure. So we, uh, you know, perfect example, when we rolled out in, um, you know, we, I mentioned that we just rolled out three, three countries in Europe last year. We um, brought together stakeholders from the different countries. Uh, we met up in, um, we met up in uh, Leiden, Netherlands last year. And we all worked, you know, we, we basically gave them some prep work before the meeting to say, go out and speak to, you know, your, your, your key stakeholders within your facilities, whether it's a plant, whether it's an office building, um, and gain some insight in terms of what's, what your current practices are, what, what are your current pain points, and bring that with you when we, when we do this meeting. And basically, we, just, we, we go through a, a flow of what 
a, a proposed process might look like. And we kind of, and, and we do that on purpose, right? Because we know that it's, it's, again, it's something that's relatively new to most people. And so if you just start with a blank page, um, it's really tough for people to really get their minds around what, how do I design a process when I'm not even familiar with what, you know, what exactly this is. So it's a lot easier to basically have a straw man and have folks react to it. Um, what was unique about this situation was that we had six countries represented. Six, so we had predominantly HR leaders from these six countries present, and we needed them to agree on one process. And we're talking Italy, Germany, France. These are some countries that have some really stringent ways of how they do things. Works Council clearly are very big players in these countries. And uh, frankly, there was a lot of doubt that we were going to be able to do this. Um, but I think a lot of the, and I give my team a lot of credit, the prep work that they did to really um, bring them along. We, we had a couple sessions bef before the big meeting uh, so that we could give them an understanding of conceptually, this is, this is our desired end state, this is what we're trying to do, this is the benefit to the organization, this is the benefit to you, um, and let's get some of the questions answered now ahead of the workshop. So when we come to the workshop, we're predominantly focused on the, the process. And that's how it worked. It, it worked really well. It, but it takes a team effort, right? And, and I, I, you know, I think a key part of our success was I had a person who, I have a person, who's my project leader for, the e, for our, our European implementation, who's based in Europe. And you could be the most uh, global U.S. person ever, but the fact that you're based in the U.S., you know, there's always a little bit of a doubt when you show up wherever and you say, I've got a solution that I'm going to roll out to you, and it started in the U.S. The moment you say it started in the U.S., people have probably already stopped listening, right? So it was helpful here that this individual um, was based in the U.K., and so he was advocating for the solution, basically on our behalf, um, and, and he's viewed a little bit as one of their own. So it obviously starts with important stakeholders, getting people on board, helping them understand the why, communicating appropriately. And beyond that, was there additional education or resources, tools that you needed to provide hiring managers or maybe even talent acquisition? That's one of the big benefits of going into these implementations with partners, right? You, you really rely on your technology partner to have to be able to rely on all their experiences on implementing this to be able to guide you on what makes sense, what doesn't make sense, where where are the hangups going to be, and then likewise the you know who who ultimately is going to be your your program manager, um, they too bring their their expertise to the table and and they do a really good job of like breaking up the the project and the implementation into the appropriate you know, work streams, um, everything from technology focus, um, you know, supply chain is a big focus as well. Um, cause you've got to bring, you, you got to bring these suppliers on, on board, right? They, they need a little bit of love too. If I said to you, Hey, I have a great proposition for you. I need you to give me 3% 
to do exactly what you were doing before for no fee. Uh, excuse me? Why would I want to do that? So, um, so you know, you have to articulate the value prop to, to them as well. And so to your point, it's, it's, all, it's all about stakeholder management. But there's also, um, you know, a, a work stream dedicated to business readiness. And that's where, you know, you're everything from communications um, to, to the actual users, right, the managers that are going to be making requests into the system. Um, and, you know, things like um, user guides or, you know, uh, tools that help them, you know, use, use the system, use the technology because it's going to be new, new to them, right? Um, and, and this is also where it's helpful to have that outsource arrangement in some ways. They can flex a lot better than, um, than if you were to do this in-house your, yourself. And there's probably listeners who are going, we have an in-house and it works perfectly. I, I, I bet it does. But I, I tend to think that it's, you know, there, there is an advantage to being able to say, look, I've got a brand new program. I, I need you to support that initially with some extra bodies and extra support and then flex down, you know, to the core team. That's harder to do when it's, you know, all, all your own employees, clearly, right? So, um, but yeah, there, it's a, a, there's a, a, quite a bit of change management that happens ahead of time. But, but then there's also the reality that you know that managers, for as much as you communicate ahead of something new that goes live, are, are not going to listen or pay attention, right? It's just not going to raise up to the, you know, above the fray of what they're dealing with. Mm -hmm. And so you have to expect that you have to be ready to support them when the need arises. Um, and, and the good and the bad of it, yeah, I'm sure a lot of, a lot of the listeners can relate on the talent acquisition side. Managers needs don't all occur at the same time, right? It's spaced out as, as needs arise. That's good and bad. You can never get everybody to, to, to listen to you all in one, right? Cause it's not going to be relevant to them. Mm -hmm. At the same time, it gives you the grace of being able to kind of slowly trickle out this information o over time, you know, as, as need arises. So uh, ver very similar in, in that regard from a contingent side. I have a million other questions, but I know we have to be sensitive to time, but I do have a, a couple other questions I want to make sure that we get, a, get across to our listeners. First is, did putting this in place help improve any workforce planning processes that you guys have in place? That's where we're going next. You know, if there's one piece of advice that I would have, I would give a listener uh, if they're contemplating this type of program is you always want to go and connect yourself to where there is already energy in, in, in place. And we were fortunate enough that a couple years ago, we had already started to build momentum inside the organization for um, we, we just have to be better at workforce planning. We've, you know, it's a skill that we are actively trying to improve a muscle that we're actively trying to grow and it's really come out of um you know in our case workday we implemented workday probably about three four years ago and you know ever since then you have this classic um again somewhat of a crossroads where where we go well we have all this fantastic data and we have all this fantastic visibility that we didn't have before what do we do with it? And, and so 
you know, within the organization, there there was a there is a push already, right, to say we we have to take this data that we now have and and start to be smarter, right? Start to um, do a better job of planning and be more strategic about our workforce needs. I've been able to elbow my way into that conversation to say, fantastic, let's look at this in a holistic fashion um, and, and leverage contingent workforce for where it makes sense, right? Um, and, and that itself is a loaded question, right? That where does it make sense, Hazen? Um, probably don't have time to, to have that conversation today, but that's what makes this space so fascinating, right? There's, there's multiple dimensions here. Um, frankly, there's a decade's worth of work here uh, to be done around this space. Um, and, and again, I, if you start with the destination in mind, uh, I think this all starts to blend in, you know, and, and we're talking about worker needs and we're not necessarily differentiating with um, in what form that worker is, is in your organization. And then my last question is, you know, as you guys were kind of peeling away the layers of the onion when you first stepped into doing this project, I imagine you um, uncovered that there were a number of different third-party staffing organizations that the or, that the company was working with. How did you guys go about windling down that list and then selecting your top, you know, whatever the number is that you guys settled with? So it's a great, great question as well. Sorry. Uh, great question as well. Um, the approach that we took is whenever we implemented in a new country, we did a lift and shift strategy, mainly because of the change management associated with uh, the whole program. There's a lot of change management. You're introducing technology, you're introducing controls. So managers kind of feel like, hey, we're just big brothering this thing. Um, if we were, and this was my, my, my opinion, if we were to at the same time say, see that supplier that you've been using for the last 10 years, they're going away. We thought that was way too much for any one manager to, to be able to, to handle. And so our approach was, and, and has been, as we roll out in a new location, all we wanna do is try to bring everything into the program so that we have visibility. Um, and so that then we can start to look at which suppliers are actually performing well for us. I mean, in reality, if you, if you wanted to do that at the time that you were going live, what, what data would you utilize to really make that decision? You wouldn't really know uh, how long it's taking a supplier uh, to fill a role. You wouldn't know um, how well they're doing paying to market. So you don't really have the right data to even make that decision if you, if, even if you wanted to. Um, so our approach has been to do it once you've moved all, you know, once you've moved all the suppliers in. In the U.S., our program has been live for uh, two years, and we are slowly working our way category by category uh, at assessing and determining where, you know, there's some really low-hanging fruit. You go, there's a bunch of suppliers that are actually not even filling any roles. You can remove those, and, and then that's how you then start to kind of but you also have to look at, are there categories that are under, um, uh, under-supported? Uh, and, and you'll find that there are, you know, that you'll find that there's a particular category, you know, let's, we could talk about digital, right? Did, there, most companies probably don't have enough digital uh, kind of suppliers in, in their programs today because of the newness of it, right? 
And I forgot the second part of the question again. <laughs> it was, you were touching on it, but it was how you went about the selection and then um, how, how you whittled it down and then maybe even tell our listeners, we'll just use the U.S. as an example, how many you, you think you might, well, you're not there yet, so you probably can't answer this question yet, but if you could make an assumption where you think you might land in terms of number of third-party services that you leverage. So here's, an, that's, that's, yeah, that's the other one that I wanted to mention. Um, when, I, when I started this work, I thought one of the easy opportunities that, that existed was to be able to um, identify some preferred suppliers that we could use globally. You know, there's there's clearly large global staffing providers, and my thought was, boy, I, I bet if we if we again similar to what we did in the U.S., if we aggregated our spend, we could really get some good, um, you know, good agreements in place with some of these global players. Come to find out, it's a little harder than initially thought. Many global staffing suppliers um, operate their P and Ls by country. And um, so as much as you want to be able to just say, I want to use three global suppliers around the world, um, you're not really getting the benefit of it. And clearly, um, these global suppliers perform differently depending on the part of the world that they're in. And, and, and there's some local suppliers that uh, outperform the global suppliers. And if you're not um, if, if you're not really getting anything in return for consolidating your business into four or five global suppliers, then it doesn't really make any you know that much benefit to do so. So uh, that's a long way of saying it, it will be more than what I certainly thought it would be. Um, I thought, oh gosh, we could probably consolidate into maybe you know twenty twenty five global suppliers around the world. Um, and even that probably sounds a little high, but you have to remember that there's some suppliers that really are niche suppliers that focus on particular areas. But I, I think that number will be higher than that. It could very well be double that um, because of some of the dynamics that still exist within the, the marketplace. And perhaps that changes over time. I hope so, because I think that there's clear opportunity. Uh, but today, it's not, it's not as easy as consolidating your business into one supplier. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I figured was going to be your response, <laughs> but I was curious in hearing what, what lessons were learned. So Mike, before we close things up, was there anything else you had for Hazen? No, nothing for me. I appreciate the time. Yeah. Very I'm, fascinating stuff. I know that our listeners are probably going to have some questions about this. So where can they find you and connect with you if they want to have, if they have follow-up questions? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn, um, Hazen Munoz at Ecolab. So, uh, find me there. Would love to, you know, chat. I'm always uh, interested to hear how uh, what other organizations are are doing within this space. Clearly, you hear a lot of passion in my voice for this space, um, and so always, always up for you know a little networking and a little best practice exchange. Is there anywhere that you'd recommend people go to find education on contingent work? Like, is there are there some specific groups? That you're working with? Yeah, probably the largest one within the contingent space is a, a association called Staffing Industry Analyst. Um, it is a member um, association, but they also have free information as well that they also publish out just in, in general. Uh, they have research, um, they have trend information, uh, so great source of, 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 of data. 
but to be honest, you know, the space has grown so much that you you can't pick up a Deloitte, Accenture, uh, Ernst and Young uh, research report that does not mention uh, contingent workers as part of the overall. Uh, like if they're talking about people, there's likely a subsection uh, mm -hmm. dedicated to con the contingent workforce. Yeah, I know this is a timely topic, so we'll be excited to get it out to the world. If our listeners are also interested in learning more about Ecolab or maybe applying for opportunities at Ecolab, where can they do that? Yeah, absolutely. Our, from our careers website, you know, right off of Ecolab.com, you click on careers and we always have our uh, positions posted there. I, I hope someday uh, in the near future, I will also have contingent workforce opportunities uh, posted there. Um, but yeah, absolutely. We are, we are growing and we are always in need of, uh, of talent. Well, this was such a pleasure. So thank you again for your time. So fun to see you again too. Yes. I didn't share with the listeners, but Hazen <laughs> and I have a history together. We, uh, were in the same group with HR connection, gosh, dating almost maybe four or five years ago. Yes. And we've stayed in touch. And, um, this opportunity, uh, gave me the opportunity to reach out to Hazen and reconnect. So this has been really fun. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Just another example of small world we live in, right? Right. Exactly. <laughs> Thanks again. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of What the HR. If you want to hear more episodes like this, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever platform you're listening through now. If you enjoyed the podcast, do us a favor and share with your network, your boss, or your CEO. Help us get the podcast in front of anyone who wants to know what HR looks like when done well. Also, if you have suggestions for show topics or people you'd like us to interview, please email us at podcast at tcsherm.org. That's podcast at tcsherm.org. If you want to find out more about Twin City Sherm or our upcoming events, please visit our website at tcsherm.org. You can also follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And finally, if you're not already a member of Twin City Sherm, please use code WHATTHEHR at checkout to receive $20 off your membership. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next episode.